The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And this is a good time. We'll take uh, maybe 15 minutes or so, people to share what you've been learning, and you can remember these three ways we practiced tonight. We did the more structured or formal loving-kindness practice. So there are many ways to do this practice. And before I forget, I'll just mention, if you want to dig in with the loving-kindness practices, because there are different ways to do it, uh, right now, in uh, this uh, COVID time, we're offering a guided loving-kindness practice every Friday, 7 to 8.30 p.m., and different teachers from Common Ground lead that. Everyone's welcome. So we call it a, you know, a weekly practice group, but it's focused on compassion and loving kindness practice. And you can join in any Friday at 7. And the link for all of our programs are on our public calendar, uh, online calendar. So you might just check that out. And it's usually a guided meditation followed by a discussion in Q&A time about uh, loving-kindness practice. So we did that for 15 minutes. Then we did our more uh, regular mindfulness practice with an anchor, most of us, where we're cultivating the continuity of present moment awareness. And then at the end, doing more of an open awareness practice where we're not directing the attention back to the primary meditation anchor, right? So we're learning to be mindful without having a mindfulness object. So that way, whatever the attention is being aware of, that's your mindfulness, that's your meditation object. That's that open awareness style that we do for the last few minutes. And of course, over time, that could be a bigger part of your practice. If your mind's already quite settled, you might not need to work with a primary meditation anchor like your breath for more than a minute or two. And then you might be able to go right into that open awareness. As long as you're able to maintain some thread of present moment awareness, of course, we'll get distracted, but coming back relatively soon, or you might not need to use that anchor to stabilize present moment awareness. So this would be a good time just to share what you've been learning, what's been hard, what has felt like success in your practice, questions that are emerging, feel free to just unmute yourself and uh, introduce yourself maybe with your first name. Anybody like to go first? What have you been learning these weeks and even in tonight's sit? What questions are coming to mind? That's a really important point. And, and uh, so that insight that uh, is really going, and this is, and we've talked about this, you know, where there's a repeated pattern, like thinking and thinking in a particular, along a particular groove. How can I be helpful? How can I take care of? And then it's wisdom that gets curious. What else is here in the moment? but not being clearly felt and acknowledged. And that's what you were saying, Ruth, that underneath 
that habit of going back to that, oh, what should I do? How can I take care of what else doing? You know, that sort of planning is recognizing that there's some tight controlling energy there. And then even further down, you're beginning, it sounds like you're beginning to have glimpses that there's this deeper, more subtle um, fear of not being in control. And, and, and you'll keep kind of peeling back the layers, but beneath everything, there's something else, and beneath that, there's something else, but it all comes down to this very subtle, and, and, and generally in spiritual life, subtle is significant, and what's gross and obvious is usually just the cover for what's more subtle. And then there's often, and we should just presume there's something beneath whatever already seems subtle. Maybe there's something more subtle under that. But it all comes down to some wormy, subtle uneasiness of the heart. And and uh, when we do our best to put words to it, we'll say something like a subtle, wormy anxiety, a subtle, wormy, fe- wormy fear, sense of lack, sense of longing. But there's something that's uneasy, deep and subtle in the heart. And then the question you ask, Ruth, is, well, what do we do with that? Well, we do what we do with the gross or obvious stuff, which is we recognize this is here, feels like this. And in a sense, we give it permission because it's nature. It wouldn't be showing up in our experience if, in a sense, it didn't have rights to be here. Same with that more subtle, mysterious stuff that's moving there. It really wants to be, it, it needs and wants the space of awareness to do whatever it's going to do, feel whatever way it's going to feel. And basically we're getting, we're making peace with the truth that there's nobody in control and that life is wild and ungovernable, Right? And so this is going to emerge. The more stable present moment awareness becomes, the more this subtle truth that things are uncertain, things are unreliable, they're ungovernable, it's just going to come to the surface. And it will start like exactly as you said, with some obvious thing in my life, and we start to notice that the mind is obsessing about something. But because there's enough stability in awareness, we sense what's underneath it. Oh, the mind's trying to control something. What's underneath that? Oh, the mind is afraid of not being in control. That things are uncertain. Because at this more subtle level, it's really true about everything. You know, when and I, my partner and I just heard about a friend of ours, you know, has really just found out today has really serious cancer. You know, just some peop- someone younger than us. And uh, how life can just turn. And of course, we don't know when that's going to happen. We know it will happen in one version or another for all of us, right? Nobody's exempt from insecurity, just even on the level of the body, let alone all these other exposures that just comes with human existence. So even though people often take up mindfulness meditation as a stress reduction technique, it's really here 
this awakening process is really here to help us live in alignment with the truth of insecurity, truth of vulnerability. It really teaches us how to be a human being when we're not in control. So when we get this more subtle stuff, it might find like a sadness that doesn't make sense because there's nothing terrible happening in my life. Why is there this such real poignant sadness? Or it might feel like a real electric, uneasy, restless feeling. Or it might feel like a kind of a numb, dead, frozen, heavy feeling. Whatever it is, it's the next thing arising in the moment. So it's just the next thing that mindfulness connects with. Oh, this is being felt. This is being known. And because we're training the heart to trust, whatever shows up in our experience is worthy of this kind and balanced and intimate presence. Well, I didn't ask for this. Nobody asked for it. But it's here. This experience is here. This emotional experience, this physical experience, this cognitive experience, it's here. So a wise practitioner always says, Yes, this is how it is now. And like I said at the beginning, subtle is more significant than growth. So when something subtle is there, get interested. Oh, this is also being felt. This is also being known. Well, can I be aware of this? Can I give this permission to come and go, to be what it is? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, thanks for getting us going, Ruth. Other thoughts that come to mind, what you've been learning or questions that are emerging, challenges that are showing up in your practice? I feel like that's a control technique too. Like, does, is that contaminated or affected by that? deep habit of wanting to control? Mm. Of course, it, like all of our patterns are going to infect our Dharma practice, our meditation practice. So you're going to catch, so if you're, if you're ten, like your temperament is someone to kind of hold back, then that's going to affect how you meditate. Or if you're kind of a leaning in type A person, that's going to, those qualities are going to infect your meditation practice. So we should just presume that whatever personality tendencies we have are going to show up in how we practice. And then we'll catch them. And it will almost, you know, bring a serene smile. Oh, oh, there you go again. You know, trying to control this. Because when we see, when we know that it's going to happen, we can catch it more. And one uh, sort of thing we can understand that as I described at the beginning of the class tonight life is really ultimately wild it's really wild and it seems like it's orderly because we're constantly projecting our cognitive meaning like what we think is happening on our life and like you said so well Sarah it's stressful <laughs> to always, but it doesn't mean that it hasn't helped you in life, right? In moments, we really need to sort of, you know, 
project and try to control and try to explain things. And, but it's not a long-term strategy. It's exhausting, right? So ultimately, we want to learn more how to not control things, but how to ride, how to move with things. Like uh, I had a friend when I taught elementary school in uh, Oakland, California. This was back in the 80s. And uh, one of my, another teacher in the school and a good friend of mine was the, I think, three-time women's Bronco champ, uh, national champ, riding horses, you know, at rodeos. And, uh, and we, we talked and just about how that, how you do that. I mean, I, I don't really ride horses, so I don't know too much about it. But just like you're not going to beat the horse. You're not going to be able to control. The horse is so much stronger than you, you know. So staying on the horse is all about not struggling, not controlling, but just coming into sync with the activity of the horse, right? Not fighting it. And there's, there's some, I mean, there are a lot of these kind, kinds of metaphors about how to be in life. And this means coming, like, how to make peace with our own conditioning. Because sometimes we think a spiritual practice is like perfecting my personality, perfecting the world, perfecting my body, you know. And boy, is that a miserable trip. You know, this, this sort of cult of perfection. How, many, how much suffering we've caused ourselves and other people because we were addicted to some idea of perfection. So it's really about more embodying the reality of having this personality, living in this messy, imperfect world, having a physical body that ages and is by no you know, description perfect, right? How to be really kind and skillful and intimate with the reality of nature, of life, body, mind, wider world. And so we're going to start catching, uh, I've been talking about this in some of the other classes I've been teaching, you know, where we tend to swing back and forth between domination, trying to dominate life, and then giving up and being helpless. And that's all we know. It's like we try to dominate until we get so frustrated and burnt out. And then we somehow think the identity of being helpless and giving up is like a skillful way to live a life. It isn't. But nor is it skillful to think that somehow I can dominate reality and have safety in that way. And real spiritual practice comes when we give up on both of those extremes of somehow any version of helplessness is going to be functional or useful. And any version of control ultimately is going to be functional or useful. And that's really, it's a lot of humility. Like, well, what is neither of those? And, you know, we have words, like I've been saying in the class, intimacy without attachment. Being really there in each moment, whatever life is delivering in that moment, internal experience and outside experience. Intimacy, but not attachment. That means we're intimate, we're engaged, we're doing. Like as a parent, some of you are probably parents. You're there, it's like, doesn't make sense to not show up when you've got kids, especially young kids, Right? Showing up, but not attached, not expecting to be a perfect parent, but not giving up on the project just because it's impossible to be a good parent. 
it's like really having that value of non-harming, which is big in, in Buddhist Buddhism, this, this deep, resonant value of non-harming. But I'm sure you've noticed, it's impossible to be a human being without causing harm. Even if we're vegans, and even if we're really careful, we're complicit in subtle and not-so-subtle ways and so much harm. But it's still a very beautiful value to live with to like give our heart to this non-harming, even though we're going to fail at it. Because it isn't about perfection. It's about, it's a beautiful value to commit to, even though we'll never be perfect at it. And that really speaks to this, you know, like um, this commitment to be intimate and discovering non-attachment in the intimacy, in the exposure of being a human being. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing. Thank you. We just have a few minutes left, and um, there is a handout for week six, and it's really about integrating the practice in daily life. And uh, I just want to mention a couple things, because, you know, in a way, this class may be, especially those who are completely new to the practice, it's been what's kind of held your interest together and now it's ending and you're going to have to find other ways to keep the interest going. So please, like Kyle mentioned, check out the calendar, see what kind of programs might make sense. There's a Sunday morning program that I teach. Shelly Graff, one of the other main teachers, teaches every Wednesday night. Those are kind of two of the anchoring programs, but there are many other including now several practice check-ins each week. Um, I do Tuesday at 12 noon. Shelly does 9 a.m. on Thursday. There's a Saturday one once a month and a few others as well where you can ask questions and have usually smaller groups um, connect with the teacher. But mostly you're going to be on your own. And as I mentioned in one of the earlier classes, you know, the general vibe of our culture is in the direction of distraction and superficiality. And we don't feel good in life, so we use pleasant sense experience to kind of massage and keep us going, right? So something sweet from the fridge or something entertaining on the TV or this. And it kind of gets us through life seeking one sense experience to make life worth it, and then another, and then another. And, you know, what that's a recipe for, real, I think, ultimate despair, because it's like we miss our life. So it's really important that over time, we find something that really resonates in our heart as, you know, for lack of a better word, feels like a real path, a trustworthy path spiritual path, and to find friends who are interested so that we're not alone on that path. And one of the hardest things you're going to find is how to keep the path in mind. And you might come across a particular little pithy phrase or teaching that really resonates, and it will really work for you for a while, and then it's like those words don't really mean much to you anymore. It's like you repeat a phrase or a word too long, and it loses its meaning. And so just be aware, you have to, like, what actually brings you back to 
the value of the practice that you've actually discovered in your own life, you have to keep renewing it. It's going to have to be real. Can't be forced. So this is your first task, actually. It's like, how are you going to keep the practice in mind? What is the pithy teaching that really resonates with you? Like I've said this several times during the course, intimacy, the marriage, the coming together of intimacy and non-attachment. That might be really kind of impactful for a while. But then you're going to have to find your own phrase or discover another pointing out instruction, whatever that might be, to keep you going. So just keep that in mind. How do you come back to what's most important? Because the big enemy is forgetfulness and superficiality, where we actually, you know, live a life of postponement. I know this isn't that important. I'll get to the important stuff later, right? But I really want to see this show. And I'm not against TV or movies, you know, but we, we tend to like postpone what is actually we know in our heart is of real value. So how are you going to keep that in mind? And this is where community can come in, whether it's common ground, but there are several really good Buddhist meditation centers in the Twin Cities, not just common ground. So find one that's convenient to you. Check it out. Like anything, you're going to have to see what really feels right and also what's convenient from given where you live. These days, of course, it doesn't matter. Like, Sarah from Rhode Island, and probably a few, I think there are a few others of you who are way out of town. And there are some other instructions in that week six handout about just integrating it, uh, the practice in your daily life. So you might want to track down the handouts. I think I sent it in today's email. And then just print that up so you can read it through and choose a couple. I think there are five suggestions. Choose one or two to take up, it will be fun. They're kind of fun suggestions of bringing the practice outside of your formal sitting time, whatever that is, most days of the week, but also just other ways to practice with the rest of the day. And I've really enjoyed in the strange world where we're online together, getting to know you as best we can. And I hope to run into you actually (laughs) in real life someday, maybe at the center, maybe somewhere else. And I wish you well in your practice. And as Kyle said, never be shy about reaching out to the center. And we also, on the website, you can sign up for practice meetings with Shelley or with me, one-on-one practice meetings, as well as these small group practice check-ins where you have time to ask questions. So take care, everybody. Hope to see you down the road. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.